Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, August 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Governor Reeves addresses the state's pandemic response. Then, urgent care clinics see a spike in demand for COVID testing and vaccines. Plus, social justice advocates say Mississippi voting regulations are discriminatory. And we hear from the Small Business Administration. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. At a press conference yesterday, Governor Reeves lashed out at journalists who've questioned his COVID response over the past few weeks. Uh, I'm sure I'm probably going to get asked over and over why I'm not imposing a statewide mask mandate. Last Friday, I answered that question seven times, uh, but these same reporters will likely ask it again. I'd like to have a little bit of straight talk on this topic. There are those on the right who would like me to make masks, and vaccines into a political battle. There are those on the left, including most of the reporters in this room, who really want to make political hay and grow their Twitter platform because I will not issue mandate after mandate after mandate. Let me be clear. I do not give a damn about any political agenda. This pandemic much of which is a pandemic of the unvaccinated at this time, is before us. There will be plenty of time for politics, but this ain't it. If you have questions on the facts, I'll be glad to try and answer them to the best of my ability. If you intend to use this press conference as a platform to grandstand or to get MSNBC clicking on your story, please do not expect me to help you do that. 
Earlier this week, state leaders, including House Speaker Philip Gunn, publicly urged Reeves to call a legislative special session to address Mississippi's COVID crisis. Reeves says he has no immediate plans to do so. Demand for booster doses of the COVID vaccine is expected to skyrocket in the wake of FDA and CDC guidance that immunity conveyed by initial vaccination will eventually fade. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says a distribution plan within the state is still in its early stages. The terminology really is just an additional shot of either Pfizer or Moderna from, from before will be available in the same way, by and large, that the vaccines are available for, for you know, first and second time people receiving a dose. It will be, you know, pharmacies are starting provided. I know, you know, most chain pharmacies and small pharmacies are providing them for the appropriate folks. Um, doctor's offices, we are working on offering them through county health departments. That is not available yet. You know, we're still knee-deep in doing first and second doses, but we will likely have an online option where you can sign up to get, um, get you know, your additional doses um, through a similar mechanism uh, as before through the, um, through the web form. Dobbs encourages Mississippians to consult with a doctor before receiving a booster dose of vaccine. At this point, he says, they're not necessary for most people. Coming up, urgent care clinics are swamped as testing demand explodes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Hospitals in Mississippi are overwhelmed as COVID cases surge. And urgent care clinics, which are often a point of first contact between COVID patients and the medical system, are also feeling the crunch. Dr. William Grantham is medical director at MEA Primary Care Clinic in Clinton. The volumes are at an all-time high at all of our clinics. The the numbers of people that we're seeing and evaluating for COVID have just absolutely escalated. Quite frankly, at times, it, it's it's almost not manageable just because of the sheer volume. Are you administering both kinds of tests, the rapid testing, the PCR tests? Yes, we do. Uh, the SOFIA antigen test is the rapid test, which is just a more of a nasal swab, while the PCR test or the, the more involved test, it's a deeper swab, the nasopharyngeal swab. And there are certain cases where that's really preferred and required. Travel would be a good example of PCR testing. But the, the bulk of the volume of the testing that we're doing is the SOFIA antigen test to give people a rapid result. If someone is symptomatic, you will do both kinds of tests, or does a patient have to request the PCR test? And that's going to be patient-specific and w- how symptomatic they are. Many times would consider doing a PCR test for further confirmation. Maybe that if they're very minimally or no symptoms, that we would just simply have them return for a rapid test within an, another 48 hours if 
that was the case. There, there are different ways, and, and you just have to take it case by case. When someone tests positive in your clinic, what's the follow-up? Does a doctor meet with that person to advise them on, on how to proceed? In our clinics, physicians and, and appropriate providers are involved in, in that process. So, yes, we talk with the patients. We let them know. We give them handouts. And, of course, now the impetus is trying to get as many patients that meet criteria for the monoclonal antibody infusion or injections to try to get those people the injections such that they are not requiring emergency room and hospitalization visits. Can you break down the kind of person that's coming in? Are they sick? Do they know they've been exposed? Who are you seeing the most of? Well, certainly in the clinic, there's quite variability. There's some people that think they may have had a casual exposure and they just want to be sure. There are other people that have had a family member or someone that they've been around and they know they've had a significant exposure and that those people clearly should be on quarantine. If if that exposure had just happened, one would not expect them to be positive immediately But if there's a significant exposure, we would definitely want you tested within, say, three days to five days of that exposure to try to identify if you've converted. And again, a lot of this now is trying to be sure which patients would qualify for the monoclonal antibodies. And also, in this process, trying to document which patients have been vaccinated previously or not. You bring up a good point, though, of those who know they've been exposed to someone who has either tested positive for COVID or is actually symptomatic, but you're saying they need to wait. They shouldn't come rushing in because the virus may not show up in their system for a few days? Well, that's right. If I had COVID and you were around me and and I'm diagnosed, you going that same day probably doesn't make much sense. You're asymptomatic and you've not had time to really turn or or be infected where you would start shedding virus. So that's why if you're asymptomatic exposure, it's probably preferable to wait till the third day before you consider testing, unless you develop symptoms prior. Are you also administering vaccines at the clinic? Yes. Has there been an uptick in people wanting vaccines? Yes, we're now significantly going back up in the numbers of vaccines. But it is amazing that there are many people who are still very resistant. And I would encourage anyone to the numbers that I've heard are probably 96 percent of your physicians and providers have had the vaccine and feel it's safe and trust in it rather than relying on controversial things on social media, I would encourage our patients to listen to those of us who are willing to do it ourselves as well as for our community. The vaccines will and do save lives. We know that of the cases that are reported, today that's 3,323, that of those cases, 97% of those people are unvaccinated. Of the hospitalizations, 90% are unvaccinated. And of the deaths, although there are some deaths 
of people who've been vaccinated, they're generally the older people with chronic medical conditions greater than age 65. 85% of the deaths that we're seeing in the state are unvaccinated individuals. The vaccine clearly makes a difference. And finally, let me ask you, the MEA clinics, because there are a lot of them around Mississippi, do you need an appointment to come in and get tested or can you just walk in? Well, we're encouraging people to call mainly from a scheduling standpoint. Yes, you may still come directly to the clinics. It is important that we, though, don't co-mingle. So that's why we're asking people to, to call when they arrive as much as we can. We like having patients. We know what they're there for. We try to move them back into uh, appropriate space when it's their turn rather than having, we don't want people sitting on top of each other in waiting rooms. Dr. William Grantham is the medical director of MEA Medical Clinic in Clinton and a former president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. Thank you very much, Dr. Grantham. Thank you. Coming up, voting rights advocates want federal oversight of elections in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Democrats introduced the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to the U.S. House of Representatives earlier this week. The bill seeks to expand federal authority over elections with a stated goal of making it easier to vote in America. Now, why can't states be entrusted with their own election regulations? According to backers of the Lewis Act, it's because of places like Mississippi. Karen Short is an attorney at the Southern Poverty Law Center, and she speaks with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Submitted three reports to Congress in support of states, including Mississippi, being covered under the new coverage formula for Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. What we were doing in these reports is demonstrating that current conditions exist for racial discrimination in voting, that there are voters now in the state who experience barriers to voting that amount to racial discrimination, and that justifies the federal government stepping in to protect the right to vote for all voters, but particularly voters of color in Mississippi. Some of the things that were noted was no online voter registration, no early voting, no same-day registration. Why are those elements important to your organization? They're not just important to SPLC. They're important to democracy, to the health of our democracy itself and to Mississippi. These are simple, common sense mechanisms uh, for voting access to giving everyone equitable access to the ballot. Having online registration makes it easier for people to register to vote. Having automatic voter registration, like we do here where I live in Georgia, as a simple way to make sure that people are registered to vote on in places where they naturally interact with state government, like in driver's license branches, um, and having access to absentee ballots for anyone who wants one, especially as we saw during this COVID pandemic. It makes sense. There are many reasons why people need to vote absentee. States should 
make it easier for them. What was the issue there for Mississippi? For absentee ballots? So Mississippi, even during the COVID pandemic, requires an excuse to vote by mail. It's unnecessary to have an excuse to vote absentee. As many states experienced this past election uh, with the COVID pandemic, people prefer to vote absentee because of their daily lives. It makes it easier if you're working, if you can't get to the polls um, on election day, you're going to be out of the county or out of the state. It just makes it simpler. So actually, even though this report talks about discrimination in voting, Mississippi is considered restrictive for voting across the board? Absolutely. The laws that are passed are neutral on their face. They apply to everyone. But the reality is that these laws interact with past and present racial discrimination in other areas of life, and they end up disproportionately impacting Black Mississippians and other Mississippians of color, and they have a disproportionate impact on those voters. And so while the intent behind these laws may not have been to discriminate on the basis of race for voters, that is the impact that they end up having. We see that burdens on notarization for absentee ballots, burdens on photo ID laws, for example, the burdens are disproportionately borne by lower income voters, by voters of color, um, and by older voters. As we know, African Americans are incarcerated disproportionately. And in Mississippi, you have to get an expungement for eligible crimes to have a felony removed from your record, or you have your name has to be submitted to the legislature, the state legislature, and they will vote on whether you can be taken off that list and begin to vote. Are a lot of states doing that, or is that just Mississippi and your thoughts on that? Mississippi is actually the only state to have its unique suffrage bill process. SPLC has ongoing litigation challenging the constitutionality of the state's felony disenfranchisement and reenfranchisement process, the suffrage bill process. We argue that it is unconstitutional. It's not an effective process. You have to have a suffrage bill introduced in your name only uh, and then passed by both houses of the state legislature. It is not effective. And in fact, as we detail in our report, it was introduced at the time of the 1890 Constitution as a way to ensure that any white man who was caught up in the felony disenfranchisement scheme was not harmed because the felony disenfranchisement law was intentionally passed to disenfranchise black men. And so it is part of the racially discriminatory felony disenfranchisement scheme in Mississippi. And we're hopeful that it will be struck down either through litigation or through a revived ballot initiative process or some other way, because it is disproportionately harming black Mississippians. And frankly, in in today's society, there's no reason for it. Karen Short, Senior Attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
I'm Walt Grayson, host of Mississippi Roads, and I value MPB because it brings the arts, information, and educational resources to every Mississippian. And that's why I'm asking you to become a member today. From now through August 23rd, we're entering all donors into a drawing for lunch and a personal tour of Natchez with me, plus one night and a charming bed and breakfast. Second prize in the drawing is an iPad, so you can connect with MPB on the go. Call or text GIVE to 844-874-6874. No donation required to participate in the drawing. Support for MPB comes from Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program, offering Mississippi families free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance to Mississippi students of all ages. More at gettocollege.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Restaurant Revitalization Fund injected tens of millions of dollars into Mississippi businesses early this year, but its funding was limited, and its rollout, best, uh, beset as it was with legal woes, was messy. Ultimately, in early July, the program ran out of money. Veronica Puheen, who is a senior advisor to the Office of Capital Access at the Small Business Administration, says business owners hard hit by the pandemic should turn their attention to a different federal assistance program. The COVID economic injury disaster loan and the targeted supplemental advance that is a loan program with grant components that supplement that, that has been available since the start of the federal response to the pandemic. What there was a change, there are a couple of changes. Earlier this year, 2021, the cap for the loan was increased from 150000 to 500000 And then in June of this year, end of June, the agency dedicated additional management and personnel resources to improve the process for delivering these funds to better meet the demand. So those are the main changes with the program. Can you explain the difference between the loan program and the grants program? Normally we think grants don't have to be repaid. Is that the case here? Do loans have to be repaid? Correct. Yes. So the loan program, uh, any funds obtained via the COVID, the loan component has to be repaid. It's over a 30-year period at a a 3.75% interest rate, and that can be deferred as well for a time period, but the grants do not have to be repaid. The grant programs, the targeted idle advance and the supplemental targeted advance, those are kind of supplements to the loan program that if you apply for the loan, so you have to first apply for the loan, and if the small business owner is defined in a low-income community, Someone can use a tool on the SBA website to determine if their business falls in a low-income community and they suffered greater than 30% economic loss, they can obtain those grants and a loan. Those are not mutually exclusive. For the loan component, there is no low-income community and or revenue loss requirement to obtain those funds. Is there a cap on the grant amounts awarded? Yes. So the targeted one is up to $10,000, and the supplemental would be $5,000. One thing I'll just, a quick thing I'll add there for for small business owners that their business does not fall in that low-income community track, right? They don't meet that eligibility requirement for the grant. They can apply for a smaller size kind of micro-COVID idle loan. Someone who obtains, let's say, a $10,000 COVID idle loan $10,000 repayment spread over 30 years at a 3.75% interest rate, 
that would be roughly less than $50 a month in terms of repayment. So again, it's not a grant, it is a loan, but the terms are meant to be set up in a way that reduces the burden on the borrower in terms of repayment. Veronica, what is the website so people can find out the information they need? It is sda.gov forward slash EIDL. And for anyone that confusing or gone from that feedback, you can search in your internet search browser, SBA space EIDL, and that will take you to the COVID-19 Economic Injury Disaster Loan page where you can get information about the programs, including where to apply. You apply directly through that website. One point I'll highlight there in terms of applying is that for this program, there uh, the SBA is the lender, meaning the small business applies directly online to the SBA, receives the funds directly from the SBA, does repayment directly with the SBA. No additional financial institution or lender is required for this program. Veronica Puhin is the Senior Advisor to SBA's Office of Capital Access, and I thank you very much for that information. Thank you. We leave you. Uh, the Mississippi Department of Health has released the most recent numbers of COVID cases, 5,048. That is the highest number since the pandemic began. 54 deaths have been reported. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.